Today's guest is Kelly Callahan, host of the podcast 1M, a homeopaths podcast and lecturer at AHE. I asked Kelly to cover the show after listening to her podcast's most recent season, where she explores psychedelics and homeopathy across the whole season. If you're only discovering her podcast for the first time, you're going to be loving binge listening to these great episodes. Also check out her other podcast, 1M Presents The Organon, where Kelly reads out the entire Organon over the course of 48 episodes. This is great to listen to if you haven't had a chance to read The Organon for a while and need a refresher. Also check out Kelly's website at concentrichealing.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we have our fabulous return guest. She's one of the OGs on the show, Kelly Callahan. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. Now, I did warn you, there is going to be some fangirl gushing at the start of the show. <laughs> because... Gush away, gush away. <laughs> <laughs> so Kelly is the podcaster that started the 1M, a homeopaths podcast show back in 2016, when I didn't even know podcasts existed. <laughs> and so Kelly has really inspired me to start my show. And in the podcast, you know, she was several times she would say, we need more homeopaths to start podcasts. We need more homeopaths to start podcasts. And it felt like you were talking to me. And I was like, well, okay, if you say that. And it's just been this incredible journey of now 160 episodes. By the time this one goes out, probably 170 episodes later. So I want to say a massive, massive thank you. And also, you were one of my very first guests I had on the show. And the day we were going to record, I know you were so unwell. And I begged you to still come on the show because I had nobody else booked. And you said yes, even though you were feeling unwell. So I want to say a huge thank you with all my heart. Well, you're welcome. And I'm just so thrilled with what you've done. It's really incredible. You've had incredible success. Oh, well, thank you so much. Well, as you know, you've had some wonderful things come out of your podcast as well with getting in touch with Denise and Al through your own podcast and now actually lecturing at AHE. And I feel the same, like the amount of amazing people that I've had the opportunity to meet through the podcast has been incredible. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And anyone who normally I start the show of asking people how they were introduced to homeopathy, but everyone's just going to have to scroll back to your original episode. I was, it was under 10. It was like maybe five or six or something like that. And they're going to have to go listen to that one. But today... I'm super excited to talk about your new season that you have on your show. You took a little bit of a break there, which is fair enough, because you also did the organ on by one part per week. So anybody who does not read the organ on twice a year, like we're supposed to, can just go <laughs> and listen to your podcast and it's all there. And actually, you've broken that into a separate section. I did. Yeah. So this summer, I for the most part in that year, you know, COVID hit. So, and I was working on the helpline that we put together over at AG. So it was a lot. So I started reading it and then I inserted, there were a few other episodes inserted in between. And I just thought people were asking me to do an audiobook, And anyway, mm. that's just a little bit bigger than I can do right now. Yeah. As I was getting ready to kind of prepare to do this last season, I thought, let's just let's just let it be its own thing. So yeah. So you can find it as 1M presents the Organon. And so you can listen from start to finish. I'm so glad you did that because it was, I think that used to come out on Fridays, those Organon episodes. And so you did have to kind of find them in between the other ones. So it's really cool yeah. that you did that. Thank you. 
But when I, the other day I was like, oh, I should see if Kelly's done any more episodes. And I went on to Apple and Spotify and I'm like, wait, what? And I must have caught it pretty soon after you launched this new season. And it is on psychedelics and homeopathy. Yeah. So <laughs> why, what, how did you go down that rabbit hole? Tell, tell us about that. Yeah. So I took a pause because yeah, I needed a break. And as you know, like doing interviews, the interviews are amazing, but you get to meet tons of people. But one of the things that really inspired me to do the podcast was because I really do like to stitch things together and find connections between different materia medica and repertory and philosophy and history. And those kinds of episodes took a lot of time and I gradually transitioned over into interviews, which were just a little bit more focused. And I was just at a point where I was kind of, I wanted to recreate some of the original thematic things that I had done, but I needed some time off to get ready to do that. And so then your podcast came out and several other podcasts came out and I thought, this is so great. We're really populating the landscape and I just wanted something different. And I love TV. I'm going to say it. I'm a TV watcher because <laughs> I'm in love with stories. I love stories. Mm. And there really is so much good TV out right now. And I thought I wanted to be like something you would binge on Netflix. Like I want something to carry you through that doesn't end in an hour, but takes you through several weeks. And so I liked the idea of doing a series. And I've listened to a lot of podcasts like that as well. There's amazing podcasts that are fictional stories, or I'm not into the true crime stuff, but I mean, just like mysteries. And so, so I thought we could use something like that. So I kind of got that format in my mind and it brought back that idea of having a theme and being able to pull from several different areas of homeopathy to pull it together. And then I was kind of faced with a topic and I had a bunch of them rolling around. I mean, we never are short for topics and things that are interesting in homeopathy, but I went to the JAHC conference last year and I found myself sitting next to a former student who is now graduated in homeopath. And he ended up telling me about his 28 day journey to Peru to do ayahuasca. And I was just really blown away. I mean, I'm pretty much, we just, we just hung out. I mostly listened to him for two hours telling me about his experience and I was like, this is amazing. Like, I think as homeopaths, we get so, I don't know if entrenched is the word, but like, we're so devoted and so committed to homeopathy that sometimes we don't necessarily use a lot of other modalities or think about them or we, everything gets compared to homeopathy. At least I should speak for myself. So I feel that way sometimes. And so I thought- comment. Yeah. I mean, I just thought like, this is really fascinating that somebody who's a homeopath, who's a practitioner, like made that commitment to go do that. Like there must be something there. And then simultaneously, one of my best friends who went back to get her psychology PhD later in life, started her practice and started getting interested in psychedelics. And she's somebody who never like had no tolerance for any kind of substances at all. She was not a pot smoker in college or high school. She was never done anything like that. But the Michael Pollan book, How to Change Your Mind, really spoke to her. And of course, in her field in psychology, it's really, you know, it's become such an up and coming thing. So I've kind of watched her journey and I thought that would be really interesting to kind of explore, are there any crossover threads between homeopathy and psychedelics? Because of course, the whole microdosing thing immediately gets our attention. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to take some time to kind of peel back some layers and see if there was anything else there. And what did you find? Well, I will say that 
I feel like I really did go through a journey and it was, I came out the other side with feeling differently about it than when I went in. Mm -hmm. I'll say that. So the things I thought I was going to spend a lot of time on were like looking at research, how psychedelics are getting so much attention in the research field and why doesn't homeopathy get that kind of attention. And because the kind of similarities I thought I saw were that, well, psychedelics were maligned. I mean, they're drugs. They're on the schedule, schedule two drug list or whatever the list is. They're illegal. They have been illegal. And yet now they're being elevated as this real, really promising treatment. Well, homeopathy has also been through its kind of ups and downs in terms of how the public has viewed it. And it's like, okay, well, why, if psychedelics can come up from being having a bad reputation, like maybe homeopathy can. And is it possible that we could get that kind of research? And so I thought about things like that. And I wondered about the microdosing. And I thought about, I really wanted to explore the question, like if people become open to psychedelics where previously they would not have thought about using them, would they then become open to homeopathy? Because Here's something that is much more of an energetic experience, a spiritual experience in a lot of ways. I don't lead with homeopathy being a spiritual Mm -hmm. experience. I think a lot of people, depending on their case, may have that. But we know that it's more than just, we're not giving people a physical drug. Like we know it's an energetic treatment. So I thought, well, this may bring people along to homeopathy who wouldn't think about it before. So those were some of the things that I went into it just having ideas about. And then as I started reading and interviewing people, I ended up focusing on really different things. So one, the history of psilocybin and LSD just really blew me away because I did not know how those substances came to the public. I didn't know that psilocybin had not been used in the United States until the 1950s. I just assumed it had always been around. And it's a very tragic story the way it came to the United States. And so I tell this whole history, and I think it's the third episode of the series. So I don't want to totally blow it, but (laughs) there's a lot to think about in the ways that certain substances that have very traditional sacred uses in various cultures are being co-opted in a way for Western Mm. medical treatment and it's fine what they do. But of course, the way it's being done is unfortunate, because the people whose lives and cultures have depended on this, or who have formed around it are not always given the credit are not given the profits are not always included in the conversation. So that was a piece of the psilocybin thing for sure. But LSD was founded in a lab that was working with ergot, which is we get Sakali from that from ergot. Yeah. So there's a crossover there, but ultimately the healing properties that people or the researchers kind of became aware of with those substances was because they were essentially watching approving, right? People took the substances, they observed what happened to them, the results, and basically people are doing approving when they take these substances. They're not doing a homeopathic proving, mm-hmm. but anytime we take something that affects the body in that way, I mean, it is essentially approving, mm-hmm. but it's such a different way to get to a drug than the way the pharmaceutical industry is set up, which is usually they identify the condition and then 
they decide on, they figure out the pathways, the organs in the body, what needs to happen at the biochemical level. And then they synthesize a drug that will go in there and wrench and screw things into place. But this is the complete opposite. It's like they're looking at what's happening to people and they're like, huh, maybe this would be good for something that looks like this. And it was just so fascinating to see the ways that these researchers were just skating on the surface of so much homeopathy philosophy, just in terms of like similars and minimum dose and just never, that's where they stayed. They were so close. They were so, so close. close. <laughs> and I was just, you know, the highlighting in oh. the book, <laughs> I was just making all these notes. I was just like, oh my God. Oh, it just really blew me away. Almost there, almost there. You could taste it. So close. <laughs> so that was something I was really not prepared for or didn't know. I also just didn't know how much those substances, they were the prescribed treatment for like alcoholism and addiction, particularly alcoholism in the 50s and 60s. And there were conferences, there were thousands of papers. It was the leading edge of treatment until mm. the 70s when it was forced underground. Mm. And I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that history at all. And I think it's really kind of been lost unless you lived through it and you were maybe aware of it in some way. Mm. Like it's just not something that is is part of our cultural conversation about these drugs. I think it's coming up now, obviously, mm. just because of how they're emerging. But it's very interesting. I sometimes wonder if it's just because I kind of half purposely live in my own little echo chamber. I luckily have some family in law that pulls me out of that chamber every now and again. It gets me back to reality. I love them very much. Yeah. <laughs> but I sometimes feel like I live in this echo chamber where people are aware of homeopathy, they're aware of psychedelics, or it's a conversation that's okay to have. But every now and again, I'm rudely awakened to the fact that actually not everybody is aware of this. But somehow it does feel to me that this conversation of psychedelics is coming up in more places. And then once again, I'm just like, is it just because I'm in this field of consciousness at the moment from listening to your podcast? And But the conversations, random conversations and places are coming up, articles are popping up in places. So I'm like, there's something to this. It does feel like there's a bit more of a, a awakening around this. Yeah, definitely. Something I found really interesting was your conversation with Nancy Herrick. And most of the homeopaths on the show will know that Nancy Herrick and Roger Morrison are husband and wife. And most of us have got the desktop guide to keynotes and confirmatory symptoms by Roger on our desktops. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm right recording from home today. Mine's in the clinic. Otherwise, yeah. I'd pull mine up as well. But your conversation with Nancy was mind-blowing for me. Can you give our listeners a little bit of a tease? I like how you teased that bit about the psilocybin before, but tease us a little bit about Nancy and her background and why she ended up using microdosing of ketamine and, and some of the findings. Yeah. So that was another thing I was not mm -hmm. expecting. One of the things I thought I was going to do was spend more time talking about the remedies we have from these substances because we have ayahuasca, we have psilocybin, we have LSD. And so I thought I would spend a couple episodes getting into those provings. And so I contacted Nancy to talk to her because she's the one who did the ayahuasca proving, which is Benisteri Capii. That's the Latin name and that's how it's listed in the Materia Medica. So when I contacted her, though, she's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess we could talk about that. But I'd really rather talk about ketamine. And I was like, oh, really? Why? <laughs> that she said, well, because that's that's all I'm doing now. I've been prescribing ketamine to my clients, microdosing ketamine. I was like, 
oh, well, yes, yes. I would like to talk to you about that then. And, and can um, we just give a bit of context to this? She has, what, 40 years of homeopathic clinical yeah. experience behind her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's done two books. I think it's Animal Minds, Human Voices, yes. and Sacred Plants, Human Voices, with remedies that are very widely used. She reproved mandragora. She did ayahuasca. She did anhelonium. She did lactiquinum. She's done, I think she did lactalfinum. Remedies that are have really become part of mm. the Materia Medica in a fairly well-established way. So yeah, and and she so that was a really it was a really, really interesting conversation. And she told the whole story about she had one particular client who was struggling with insomnia and was not responding to all of the homeopathy she was trying with her to the point where it was getting quite dangerous for the individual. And so she called up her, she worked with a compounding pharmacist. I don't know in what other capacity, but she just asked this guy, do you have any ideas? And so the pharmacist was the one who gave her the idea. Like, why don't you try ketamine? Mm -hmm. Now she's in California. So any of your listeners who are in California, where you and I might be like, wow, there's so many articles and stuff popping up about psychedelics. Well, in certain areas of California, like this is like, old news. This is such old news. <laughs> so I think obviously she's in a different area, but yeah, she said it was just with the first dose that she gave the woman, she slept and it just was a real big about face for her. And then subsequently she's used it with a lot of clients and it's at the point now where it's mostly what she's giving. Pretty fascinating. Which, like 40 it years of experience working as a homeopath, but huge yeah. credit to her for being open-minded enough to not just wipe that information out of the carpet, but actually to explore that with an open mind and say, okay, is this something that I should use for my client? And that is, isn't that as healers that we should always have at the forefront, staying open-minded enough to explore other avenues of helping our clients, even if it goes against what we personally believe is the right thing and really continue searching until we find something to help this person. Yeah. So huge credit. To yeah. Me. Yeah, it's true. And that's kind of like ultimately where I landed with a lot of this. My intention of exploring this was not to come to any conclusive opinions at all. It was like, okay, this is clearly going to be an option that my clients have are going to have they already have the option of using ketamine i mean ketamine has been available clinically for a while but psilocybin and mdma are going to be probably approved by the fda within the next year mdma first and so what am i going to say when my client comes to me and says oh, i appreciate what we're doing but i still feel like these things haven't worked for me and somebody was telling me about psilocybin or somebody was telling me about ketamine what do you think i should do and i don't want to be the ignorant clinician who's like I don't know, it's not homeopathy, so you shouldn't do it, or mm. those are drugs, or not be aware of the potential. I just want to be able to have a conversation with them so I can alert them to like, what are the benefits going to be? Mm. What is their expectation? Mm. Because one thing I think is very true is that there's a lot of promise right now about these, and we don't really have the experience. There's a lot of research, but it's recent research. Like we don't have long-term clinical data. Homeopathy is sitting on 200 plus years of clinical evidence. Mm. And that's a lot, you know? And so while I a hundred percent will support my clients in following what they feel like is the next step for them in their journey, mm. I want to be able to have a conversation with them about the pros and cons of such a thing. Mm. And yeah, what are some of the risks? What are some of the benefits? How to find reputable providers, mm. how to find integration, because these are really, there's microdosing, but then there's 
some of the stuff that's done in clinics is you're journeying, you're taking a substance and you're going to be on the couch for four to five hours and mm. probably have a pretty like intense experience. Mm. What kind of integration are you planning for afterwards? Yeah, yeah exactly. So things that's... like that, which are not things I would have thought about or known before I spent all this time reading about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I found really interesting as well is that Nancy, or maybe it was you that mentioned that ketamine has been around for longer than 50 years. So the patent has actually yep. expired. So I personally quite like that part <laughs> because mm. I feel like there's less vested interest in it, like financial interest in it because it can't be patented anymore. It's been around for 50 years. So maybe there's going to be a little bit more unbiased research that does come out because of it, because there's not trillions of dollars behind making sure that this is coming out looking good I don't know but the other thing that I found really interesting is we have I don't know if you've heard of Pete Evans he's an Australian celebrity incredible man that is constantly getting knocked down in the mainstream media over here because he speaks about the importance of sunshine getting your vitamin d he speaks out against the v word which we'll just use code Mm -hmm. uh, and he speaks out against yes yeah, sunscreen and all the chemicals that they have he was actually yeah. a celebrity chef and he was one oh. of the judges on the top rated mainstream show master chef here in australia mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. He had that fall from grace because he had the audacity to say that sunshine is good for your health and now is made out in the media to be this cuckoo person. But he has got his own network called Evolve Network TV and it's a subscription service. It's $10 a month and I'm a subscriber as well. And in there, he did this incredibly interesting episode where he actually went to go and visit a psychologist who can prescribe microdosing of ketamine. And he was laying there on the couch. He filmed it all live of him taking mm -hmm. this microdose of ketamine and the whole experience that he was going through. And I found that absolutely fascinating to the point where I ended up trying to research this as well for a client of mine who has chronic pain and nothing seems to help. I've been to several different practitioners, tried all modalities on the planet. And I was like, well, maybe it's just a matter of kind of like retraining those neural pathways. And with this new information. And so I emailed a doctor here in Australia asking if they can administer a microdose of ketamine. And they said it's not that they can't. And the only time they've heard of it was a ketamine nasal spray that was given to a patient of, of hers by a psychiatrist. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But then this doctor actually came back to me and she said, have you heard of this other thing, which is something that she can do? It's called LDN. And it's called low-dose naltrexone, LDN. And mm. it's prescribed in a microdose of, I think, 0 0.04 to 0 0.1 milligrams. I was like, wow, isn't that interesting? And this is actually from Michigan. I think this is Michigan University that this information came out. Yeah, University of Michigan is actually some information about this stuff. And I was like, isn't mm. that interesting that these other, this is a non-opioid-based drug that is prescribed in microdosing for various conditions. So I love that you've put me on this path of now going exploring this and having these conversations and just seeing, you know, how else we can help people. Yeah. 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 Have you ever prescribed ayahuasca yourself in homeopathic potency? I have not. So the only one of the substances that I covered that I've prescribed in potency is LSD. Mm. And it was a really, really fascinating case. And it didn't make it into the podcast. So if I could say a little bit about it, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Yes, please. 
Because one of the things I thought of is how do we recognize when people need one of these substances? Because of course, it's going to be very different than what people are observing when they take the substance in material form is like the secondary action, right? So they're getting the euphoric effects or they're getting the connected with God effects or what have you. But prior to that, right, there's something within there that it's like it's meeting one susceptibility in the person. And then that's the way their vital force is responding. It's not exactly because it's not homeopathic, but we're not necessarily going to have a client come into our office who's hallucinating Mm -hmm. and saying, I'm one with God. I mean, you might, yes, you might, but that's not going to be the majority of the clients that you're going to prescribe this to. So Mm -hmm. what would we look for to give LSD, for example? And so this young man came into a clinic I was working and he had things that we see every day, ADD, ADHD. He had a lot of anxiety, really struggled to kind of like pull himself together. There was a little bit of language around just feeling very isolated and often wanting to be alone, but desperately wanting to connect with people, but just really struggling between this isolation and wanting to connect. And so there was that aspect, but then the couple of things that rounded it out were he got very animated when I asked him about music. He talked about how music was this very big thing in his life. And he had spent his younger years just going to music festivals all the time. And he followed the Grateful Dead and what have you. So he had a past where he had done psychedelics, but it wasn't a big part of his case. And then when I asked him about food cravings, he said he mashed potatoes which just really was surprising to me. I was like, really? We ask about food cravings all the time. Some of them matter, some of them don't. But every once in a while you hear one, you're like, that's interesting. That's not what I've heard before. Like I love mashed potatoes, but if you ask me what I crave, I'm not going to say I (laughs) crave mashed potatoes. This guy was like, I love mashed potatoes. So Irish. (laughs) I can't remember. (laughs) But that was actually some rubric. Maybe it was a desire for mashed potatoes or something had LSD in it. And when we kind of analyzed the rest of the case and put it together and then added that thing in, it it took us to LSD. And then when we read about it, it was just such a perfect fit. And it had the isolation and it has a huge love of music, a big musical theme that comes through. And yeah, and he got the remedy and he was so excited to talk to us after he took it because he's like, I don't even know. I think we told him what it was, but I mean, he said it made such a big difference. There are certain things he was able to kind of put together for the first time and really helped his ADD and ADHD. And it would have been really great to be able to follow his case long term. So I will Mm -hmm. say it wasn't a a long case. We had him for about two follow-ups both of which he had a really nice response and then we lost track of him. So either it stopped working or (laughs) it started working so well that he was able to move on and do other things. But that's, yeah, the only case I've had, the occasional case of cannabis, but I didn't even get into cannabis in this. So Mm. yeah, but I did interview a homeopath, Vanessa Black. She's episode six or seven, I can't remember, but she's in California and a huge percentage of her client base has been very involved in either taking or kind of on the periphery of psychedelics. And so she had a lot to say about Mm. working with both the remedies and also because at this stage, so many of the ways that people are engaging with these substances, especially in places where it's really, it's part of kind of the culture, like in California, it's all self-prescribed. So there's a lot of 
overdosing, not overdosing mm-hmm. to the point of That's people with opioids, mm-hmm. but overdosing to the point where people are starting to prove the remedies or they're getting really, you know, they are getting side effects. It's something that was very helpful for them for a while, but now it stopped being helpful. So she's definitely seen, I think, the side that is not getting as much publicity and how homeopathy has been extraordinarily helpful for people who have found themselves mm-hmm. on the other side of what started out as being a really healing thing and Amazing. didn't stay that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kelly, I just want to tell you about how the, there's never a kovinky dink, but, mm-hmm. but yesterday I received this email from a client who I've prescribed ayahuasca to. And mm-hmm. I recently did Colin Griffith's seminar on ancestral trauma through CHE. And then I did another mm-hmm. course through him called Remedies for Our Time through SWHG. And so I've been giving a lot of ayahuasca for clearing female ancestral mm. trauma because I only treat women and children. And so much of what I see in the clinic is not actually, you can feel it's not that person's thing. Mm-hmm. It's this huge load that they are carrying on them, especially if I deal with clients from Europe that have immigrated over here. A lot of them fled their parents or their grandparents fled Europe and came over here. And these children have got these this these imprints and all this heaviness and all this trauma and you hear the stories mm-hmm. of the stuff that they've gone through and you just think why have we ever complained about COVID that's nothing what we went through with COVID is nothing compared yeah. to the sheer trauma and anguish that these people experience but uh I gave so that Colin Griffiths uses the cephalinum thymus gland and then ayahuasca in a 10m potency and I've had some amazing results with it but this email mm-hmm. came through yesterday I just have to read it out to you. Oh my goodness, loved it. As soon as it touched my lips, full on head to toe wave of tingling over my body and the uncontrollable urge to cry. And I mean, a big dump of tears. It was incredible, like a big wave had been lifted. I went and laid down for five minutes to let it sit. And it was just this big sadness that came over me and went. I said, to those before me, mom, nana, whoever you are, I'm sorry for all that you went through, but now it ends and it's no longer for me to carry. Mm. Pretty amazing, hey? And she said oh, she had yeah. this every time for the three days that I told her to take this remedy. Mm. So, mm. I mean, it is yeah. that just kind of ties in with what you've been speaking about. Is it, it is that tricky thing because it's the microdosing is now kind of being touted, I guess, as this new great thing. And like you said, only time is really going to tell us if it truly is or not. But mm-hmm. homeopathy has been here all the time. And we had that to create some pretty yeah. profound experiences as well. So, yeah, 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 that's really interesting. Well, I don't want to give it away, but the ayahuasca episode was particularly kind of mind blowing for me when I learned about how they prepare the ayahuasca. So I'll just leave it at that because I think people should go (laughs) listen to it. But yeah, so I think in a lot of ways, like giving it homeopathically is, it's not the same as going and doing a journey, which I think with ayahuasca, it's, I think that aspect of it, taking it in a traditional setting with people Mm -hmm. for whom it's their culture and they've been trained to do it is really important because of what it is. There is a lot of microdosing of ayahuasca and I think it does take it out of that context mm-hmm. and it strips it of some of its, the context of the plant, which is really important. I don't think like something like LSD, like doesn't matter. It was born in a lab, like take it any way you want. But some of these substances that just have really important cultural History. roots, 
Mm. Yeah, you can't really separate them from that. Mm. I think that needs to be honored. But there's something about the way that ayahuasca is made and the way that we make remedies that there's a resonance there. So Mm. people should listen to that. And definitely. Yeah. I really loved how in the episode you made, you know, you made that clear. And I completely agree with you because if we're taking the ayahuasca, the actual substance out of context of the original, you know, the traditional custodians of this plant, it is almost that pharmaceutical model of taking a plant and then just taking the phytoactive ingredient out of that. You're almost doing the same thing. So you're not getting the holistic experience alongside that. So I love that you honored that in your show as well. I think it's really important for people to have that distinction. Are there any other final messages that you want to leave us with to kind of round up this experience that you've gone through, this journey that you've gone through? Yeah, I mean, I think just like you kind of said it earlier, like just having an open mind, regardless of like what, where you find yourself landing in any of this, like notice what comes up for you. What are your assumptions about people who use these things or don't use these things or what you think they're possible, you know, for or not possible for and be willing to learn about it. And it doesn't mean take it, but I think they're not going to go away. I think we really are in the precipice of seeing this just a lot more. And that's going to open up opportunities. I think opportunities for people, I think, to also consider homeopathy, get homeopathy conjointly, that some of our clients are going to choose to try this. And so how are we going to manage that? And so, yeah, I think just be open and learn about it. And Mm. that's what I would say. Yeah. Well, I am really excited for the people who are going to listen to this episode and get to binge listen to your episodes because mm-hmm. I unfortunately found it early on. I had to wait <laughs> to listen to each episode. And you know, it's so much better when you find like a whole season and you get to binge watch it. <laughs> so anyone finding this season, the 1M A Homeopath podcast, this season now can just go and binge listen to this. Hopefully you've got a nice long road trip coming up or just go hide away from the kids so they don't disturb you. <laughs> Or have your headphone in one ear and just go, yes, sweetie, yes, sweetie. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, and then you have made another nice big job for yourself by hinting that the next season is going to be about pathology. You really like to make life hard for yourself, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like to think that hopefully I'm going to maybe make life easier for people (laughs) because... It doesn't matter where you are in a homeopathy setting. The potency is almost always the first question people ask. You tell a case, well, what potency did you give? Mm. What potency did you give? So it's something that it's like, it's very top of mind for people. It's also the most controversial part, right? So it's not... Oh, completely. I mean, remember, like, I'm always making this for people who have some familiarity with homeopathy, right? Like, it's not a beginner's podcast. Mm. So I think the pieces that I really want to bring in are what came to me actually, I didn't learn this initially. It's been something that I learned once I was in practice, but the difference between fourth edition, fifth edition, and sixth edition prescribing, the Hahnemann's journey from the single dose to the LMs. Mm. And I've had such an incredible expansion in my own practice using LMs and just using potency in ways that I was never exposed to early on. So I really want to explore that and help bring the history and the philosophy out in such a way so that people are more familiar with the journey Hahnemann went through with posology. Mm. So I think it's going to be really fun and interesting. I've ordered like almost every book on posology there is to just kind of see what's out there. 
And then, so yeah, as always with my stuff, there will be organ on, there will be some mm. interviews. So it should be fun. It'll take me a couple months to put together. So there's a little break. I might put a few kind of episodes out in between mm. just one-offs to keep people interested. Amazing. Yeah. Kelly, it's been so fun to talk with you. Thank you so much for the incredible content that you put out there. I said to you before we started, I really love listening to you because you're very methodical in your thinking. And I like, I'm a bit ADHD, although I just feel like it feels like most people on the planet these days are ADHD and listening to Gabor Mate, apparently mm-hmm. it's a trauma response. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I've clearly got more work to do. <laughs> I feel like when I listen to you, you just, you're very methodical and very careful with how you put your information out there. It makes it really, really lovely to listen to. So thank mm-hmm. you so much for sharing your time with us today. I can't wait to hear people's feedback from the episode. Do hop into our Facebook group, the Homeopathy Hangout Podcast Facebook group. I don't think you're in there yet. We'll have to go. We'll have to get you in there. If you have any questions after this episode or about Kelly's episodes that you want to ask her, so hop in there and come and join the conversation and tell us what your own experiences have been. So thank you so much for coming on today. I hope we get to chat again soon. Yeah, thank you.